This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy. Well, Pear, welcome back to the Human Action Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So let me just say before we jump in that I have a bad cold, as people can hear, and uh, so maybe later I can do some Bing Crosby or something karaoke. That's really the only upside of this kind of situation, but... We had pair scheduled, and I don't want to miss this, so that's why we're going to plow through to bring bring value to you folks. You won't get my germs, but you'll get our insights still. So, uh, pair, I've noticed lately that you've been uh, pushing back against the let's call it fear mongering over AI, artificial intelligence. So, you maybe want to before we dive into the particular arguments, pro and con. Do you kind of want to just give us a big picture, like what your take is on? you know, how, how you see what, what, the, what the discussion out there is on this topic and why you felt the need to start pushing back? Sure. Uh, I mean, there, there are pl- plenty of different confusions, really, in, in, in this discussion. I think when, when people talk about AI, they think about things like Skynet in Terminator or the HAL or maybe RoboCop or something like that, and that the AI is going to take over control of everything and kill us. And that's almost what it sounds like when Elon Musk, for instance, is, is out there talking. Uh, we're nowhere close to anything like that. And we, we don't have anything that is even close to a sentient sort of software. So what we have is really algorithms that can do certain things really well. And we even had to change the term because from from AI used to be sort of really intelligent, but artificially so robots or software. Mm-hmm. Now we're referring to these chat bots as AI. So we even had to had to figure out a, a new term for what is real artificial intelligence. We, we, we use AGI to talk about that, artificial general intelligence, whereas these AIs that we talk about today are simply just really good at communicating, pretending to be a human in text or something like that. Can, and, can I stop you just for one minute here? Let me, let me yeah. make sure the, the listeners get, because I know what you mean because I saw your, your tweets about this, but let me make sure people aren't getting lost. So what Perry is saying is that you know AI traditionally meant yeah, r- robots that seemed like there was a human brain inside of it, or nervous system, I guess, and, and or the, the computer was alive and things like that, and and that was what AI meant, and so that was the dream of AI. And now, though, that they have Chat GPT and things like this that we're using the term AI to refer to, there now has been introduced. So this isn't Pear's suggestion; like he's reporting on it to us that now people are are referring to AGI, artificial general intelligence to mean what AI used to mean, because now AI has meant the lower threshold or the lower hurdle of just, oh, wow, it, there's, you know, these computer algorithms can do more than they could 10 years ago. So we're going to call that AI now. Is, is that a yeah, fair exactly. summary of what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I, I studied computer science back in the 90s in college. Mm-hmm. And back then we constructed what was then called decision support systems or DSSs. Mm-hmm. And they are basically what AIs are today, but we didn't call them AI because AI was supposed to be like really smart things and they could think for themselves and that sort of thing. And, and ChatGPT, it, it sort of seems like it's doing that because it can respond to you and things like that. But what, what it really does is just go sift through the internet in a sense and learn how to respond to a certain type of question so that it seems like it's a human responding to it. So, so it actually makes sense to you when you're chatting with it, but it doesn't actually do a whole lot. 
And of course, people have a lot of experience of it lying to you as well, because it's just basically taking whatever is out there. And there's a lot of crap out there. So it's, <laughs> it's going to mm -hmm. repeat a lot of stuff that it simply isn't true. There, there's no way really of, of, of making sure that is it has the true answer or whether it, it is the true answers, which is something that that I, I, I deal with as a as a university professor too, because students use this to generate an essay or something like that instead of writing it themselves. Uh, so they write an essay that looks really great, but the content might not be correct at all. Of course, the student doesn't know and doesn't even care, just it turns it in for a grade. Uh, but I have to read the, the crap and, and, and figure out mm -hmm. what is going on. Why did the student not read the assignment or why did the student not read the actual text or, or why is he adding this to the answer? But then it turns out, of course, it's it, an AI. It's funny. At first I misunderstood you because you said that, you know, the, the way these chat GPT works, it, it just uh, goes out and sifts through the information out there and puts together what looks like a good answer. And this is what students do. And I thought you meant that's the same process that a student, <laughs> you meant he literally uses GPT. Like I thought you were saying that the student doesn't actually think about the material. He just like looks at the study notes and grabs some copy and paste and hands it in. So that sounds like a good essay. So, well, a student who wants to cheat does that, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. the student who uses chat GPT instead of, of writing their own essay, they, they, they do the same thing, right? They, so can we to take a minute? So, so I'm glad that you, you – it doesn't surprise me because I could just tell from your – the reason I'm having you on is because it did look like you knew more about the – like you weren't just coming merely as an economist just speaking in broad generalities. I, I could tell that you, you knew more about the particulars of how this stuff worked. Um, can you just in, – in, to the best of your ability, just kind of summarize how do these things – because they like they like train them on – like they go – scouring the internet right and they they like i don't know they have algorithms that re like learning mechanisms or something and they reinforce and so it's like when you type in a question it's just sort of you know it's obviously not that there's some little dwarf inside the computer thinking about it and then typing an answer back it's you know and we, we do have some insight into exactly what the heck is going on how is it giving you that response and it's do you want to just speak a little bit about that just for, for the listeners who don't have any idea how these things work Sure. So as, as a general search engine like Google or, or Bing or whatever has always sort of crawled the internet and, and tried to categorize and cat catalogize uh, the, the content so that they can quickly find an answer to whatever your question is based on whatever is out there. Uh, and ChatGPT and these so-called AIs are more advanced than that. So when you chat with ChatGPT, it doesn't actually find a sentence or something online and presents it back to you because that's a sentence that is typically used in the response to your question. What it does is <clears throat> it, has, it has been uh, taught or learned itself in a sense how to respond to certain types of questions based on, on the structure of what it's been training on. So it's, it's based on machine learning and not simply just sifting through everything that is out there and, and taking it at face value. So that's why it can respond to new questions that it hasn't seen before, which is what people are trying out to when they're tr trying to sort of push chat GTP to, to give answers to really strange questions and, and, and to say things that it's not supposed to say and whatever. Mm -hmm. People have way too much hand, uh, time on their hands, right? But, but what it does is it, it has sort of learned uh, both content and structure of how to communicate in response to certain types of questions. So that's why if you ask it to... Uh, provide a summary of a book, if it's uh, read that book or if it's 
seen that book, it can sort of quickly go through and produce a summary that seems like a summary of the book. And I, I did that for, for my primer, for instance, mm. uh, in, the, in the beginning. And it produced a, it looked at a pretty nice summary of, of my book. It was just that it added stuff when, when, when it couldn't find the exact answers. It just added stuff to fill in the gaps that are typically the case in books with such titles that are on economics, right? So it, it added that, oh, he's also talking about supply and demand curves and equilibrium and, and things like that. And of course, that's not the case at all. I don't talk about that, but it, it added those things because those should be the case in these answers. Okay. So that was a plausible bluff on the machine's part. Yes. That, yeah. Just like exactly. I said, just like as if a student who hadn't actually read your book was asked to summarize it and knew what the title was that might, you know, understandably throw it. Oh, there's supply and demand curves, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, well exactly. the thing that I, before we get, you know, again, I just want to kind of lay the groundwork here before we get into the really interesting stuff like, you know, are we going to lose our jobs and that thing? Um, where I think, by the way, is, it, is chat GPT just a particular brand name or is that like the name of the genre? Do you know? That's a brand Just name. A, it's okay. It's created by Open Open AI, which is sort of a consortium um, that has produced this. And we're now at version 4.0. When mm -hmm. it was launched, it was 3.5. So this one is much better. But mm. it's also Microsoft is part of this consortium um, and supports Open AI. And I think Elon Musk was part of Open AI in the beginning too. But then they had they had a falling out and what whatever else. Uh, so. ChatGPT 4.0 is part of the Bing search engine. So you, if you want to chat with Bing in the search engine, instead of just asking it a question like a regular search engine, you can get all these answers. And then it presents also the sources that it uses to provide those answers. So, I mean, it seems like it could be a really useful service, except that, of course, it takes those shortcuts and fills in the gaps right, where it can't right. find answers. So it's not really reliable in that sense. Yeah, so it's because again, it's you know, and we're sort of brushing up against philosophical issues here. Like, could a could a machine that humans built ever really have consciousness? You know, some people are going to say, "I don't care what it does." No, never. Just like you know, that's a that's a category error, and other people, you know, can bring up the Turing test or something. And um, but it, I think, since we do have some knowledge about what it's doing under the hood, there's a sense in which we can say we don't think that that's really thinking right now. Um, well, even there, I, I know I'm I'm wandering here because I know there are materialists who will say, like cognitive scientists, and they'll say, "Well, gee, if we look under the hood in your in your brain, Bob, you know, there's just little cells and you know neurons and firing synapses and blah blah blah." So, you know, if if one neuron can't think, then why would a billion? You know, so I guess you're not really thinking either. You know, so I I get that, um, but it my point is though that it it's it's not. It, it plausibly presents responses and and in certain if you if you just for for people who are listening to this who haven't played around with it i would encourage you to do it because it's probably more impressive than you think it is like you can type in wacky stuff that it's it's clearly constructing something novel it's not just going and finding that someone in bangladesh some human created the answer and it's copying and pasting it it's, you could say stuff like you know do a, a gangster rap of Bob Murphy responding to Paul Krugman, but also talking about Dante's Inferno. And it would give you something like almost immediately that is not bad. Like that does check all those boxes and like, oh yeah, it, it kind of, oh yeah, this is the, you know, Dante's Inferno, you can see that influence. So it's it's impressive and it, like it seems kind of creative, but also 
I've seen examples, and you've probably seen them too, where like people ask you basic math questions and they'll get them wrong. You know, so you, cause you, so you would think, oh, if it's a computer, surely, you know, arithmetic and stuff, it's, it'll knock out and know it because it's not even, it doesn't know enough to say, oh, wait, this is just a math problem. I'm a computer. I can easily solve that. No, it like uses the same process to generate limericks as it does to generate answers to simple arithmetic problems. And it sometimes is wrong. Yeah, and, and that goes to the core of the question, right? Is it really an intelligence if it just blindly repeats stuff? And, and, and whatever seems to fit, but has no real reflection on, on what the content is, right? Is, is it really an intelligence? Well, I wouldn't say it is. It, it's just, just any type of software. It's an advanced software, sure, but is it an intelligence? I don't think so. I mean, I, 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 I tried to use it in research since, <laughs> since that is what I do. And I, I, at one point there was a, a quote that I, I, I sort of remember that, it, that there was a quote that I could use, but I couldn't remember where it was. I, I could remember who said it. Mm -hmm. So I figured, hey, why not ask the new Bing and, and it's chat GPT sort of uh, thing, because it, it's really good at responding to complex questions, mm -hmm. not like a search engine where what is the capital of Bangladesh, but but rather that, oh, one, what street and this, so you can have all these parameters in the question. So I asked, can you find a, the quote for me by this person saying something to the fact of this uh, and, and show me where it is? And it immediately spat out a, a, a quote that was almost too good to be true. It was a little better than I, than I remembered it. And it gave me a reference and everything like that. So I was like, I'm not sure about this. So I clicked the reference and it took me to a page that it's, yeah, it had a quote by this person, but it wasn't that quote. <laughs> and then I, I took the actual quote that it provided me and I put that in the, in the regular search engine and it found zero uh, websites or, or books or anything with that quote. So it really, it made up a quote that would f check all the boxes that I had asked for Mm -hmm. and that by this person and they'd find the best sort of reference for quoting this person, <laughs> but it wasn't actually there and it wasn't this person who said it. it and apparently no one said it, according, at least according right. to the search engine. That's a good example to show what you mean, that it's, people might have supposed when you said like, like that sometimes it just gives you gobbledygook and like, no, it gives a plausible answer. And by giving it the citation like that, you know, if it were a human that had done that to you, that would be lying. You know what I mean? That wouldn't just be like they made a mistake. Like for them to give a false quote and put quotation marks around it and give you a, a you know, a source and a page number and a link, you know, if th that's like a Paul Krugman when he says, oh, and according to so-and-so, and he says the wrong thing, you got to click the link to see, no, it's actually the opposite Krugman. So um, that is, that is interesting. And it actually, it's even more like Krugman. Like it's not that the person says up and he says down. It's more like, you know, he takes them totally out of context or, you know, it's like, well, that's not what the person meant by that, you know? So it's, it's dishonest, but you, is it a lie? I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. So we've, we've got that established. Well, let me just ask you a big, you know, philosophical one first, and then we can move on to the more economic stuff. So in your mind, is it, could it be possible that at one day there would be software, you know, whether it's housed inside just a regular computer or inside a robot or whatever, that you would be willing to say, okay, that is intelligence. Chat GPT wasn't it, but yeah, I agree that that thing is intelligent. Well, I, I think so, in, but not in the sense that it's, it's an actual human, right? Because that's, I mean, that's yeah, also it's the, not going to be a human, but 
Well, right. Yeah, yeah so you, you could say its intelligence high. is not in the same type of intelligence as, as humans possess, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, right. I guess that's why they say artificial intelligence. That's what that word artificial is doing. Right, but there's also a discussion on when do these types of, of machines actually get rights because they are just as intelligent as we are and that sort of mm. thing. And I don't think we're going to get there. And is it going to be sort of self-conscious and those sort of things? I mean, I think it can definitely... Uh, pretend, and it, it can probably, I, I don't know, believe it too, in a sense, right? But I I'm, don't think that software can get there, at least not the way computers are structured today. So I don't think that is possible. We can definitely get something that could fool us, that is good enough to fool us that it is an intelligence. So it mm. could, you mentioned the Turing test, and I think uh, we can get there for sure. But I don't think we're going to be able to create sentient beings, more or less, uh, out of computers. Maybe if we get to the point where we create a, a quantum computer, uh, but but with the computers as they are today, I mean, they're, they're way too structured and way too black and white. So, I mean, you, the computer is, as most people know, it's basically just a power switch. It's on or off, it's one or zero. And then there's are layers of complexity added on top of it in terms of software and things like that, just rules. But there's hardly ever any any case where you where there's a rule that the computer doesn't really know if it applies so it just fills in the blanks that that's not how a computer works it's either it is by the rule and that rule applies or it's not and it doesn't apply it's always black and white and humans don't really work like that we aren't we, we want to see the world as black and white but it's more of a continuum and it's a lot of interpretation going on all the time whereas a computer is not so I just want to point out, it, it, it's tricky with this, you know, just the vocabulary we're using. It, it happens in biology, too, where if people are talking about evolutionary biology and they don't want to attribute, um, you know, motives or, or goals to a process that they think lacks, but yet it's hard to, to avoid that language. So same thing here, you were saying, you know, it might, what did you say? I think you said it might think that it is conscious or it might pretend to be. So no, if it's pretending to do something, then it's got to be conscious, right? And if it... It would make no sense to say it thinks it's alive, but it's actually not. Because to say it thinks, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, I agree. Like, wouldn't we have to, be, like, more strictly speaking, say this lifeless machine that has no internal consciousness gives the appearance that it does, but we doubt that it actually does? Or right. and it certainly and, wouldn't, and it wouldn't it be those, fooling us. Yeah. Right. And it has those processes and everything like that. Yeah. that when you ask it questions, it, it will seem like it has it reflects and it has a self-conscious mm -hmm. and whatever else which might be just sufficient for whatever purposes yeah. it might be sufficient yeah. for for producing a hal too to just keep people trap people in a, in a right. spaceship somewhere or whatever well in fairness hal didn't trap the one guy it sent him flying off into space yeah um, well, true so <laughs> so it's um okay i'm sure 99 percent of the listeners know this but just in case some don't so the turing test was something come that um, Alan Turing came up with in one of the fathers of computer science is to say um, that we, we got to be fair with the, with the machine that if, um, if you are having a conversation with it, like if, you know, there's a wall and there's something on the other side and you know, it's either a computer or a person typing and you're having a conversation with it on the screen that if you could not tell the difference, if you thought there was a human behind the screen and then there wasn't that that's, you know, we would have to say that thing is conscious. Is that your understanding of what the Turing test is? Yeah, or at least how it's usually told. 
I mean, I'm but, not sure. Well, yeah, says, I actually never looked oh, up like what, what. How did he say it? For all we know, he said yeah, something totally no, different that happens a lot. And I think so. And, and I think ChatGPT, in a sense, it passes the Turing test because a lot of people chat with with this chat engine, and and it seems just like a person. And you can't really tell if that it's not a person. You, what you can tell, though, and I mean, one way to really uh, catch students in the act of cheating is that usually the language is too good. So mm-hmm. you can tell, well, wait a minute. It, it, well, it's much like Chinese students who barely speak English tend to be tend to turn in papers that are almost perfect English, much better than any native English speaker. And you don't know, are they really good at writing or have they used some other person to do this? And you, the same sort of feeling you get from students turning in a paper produced by ChatGPT because it is... It has the same tone throughout. There are no spelling errors. There are no grammatical errors, uh, and, and things like that that students always have, pretty much. And of course, as a professor, you know there are students too. So the students who tend to cheat like this are the students who would have a lot of errors too. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so you would be able to catch them because suddenly they turn something in with completely without errors. Yeah, that that happened my first year teaching. A kid turned in a paper that uh, it was so good. And he was not a good student. And I was talking to my wife and, you know, wow, he really, and then and she said, well, you know, maybe he cheated. And I was like, wait a minute. And I went and just Googled like one paragraph and yeah, he just totally lived. He didn't even like try to tweak the words. It was just dumb. Like, um, this is before ChatGPT. This is back in the day when you just, you know, outright just found someone else's paper and, you know, if you were smart, he changed it a little bit. He didn't even bother changing it. Um, and, and you're right, Pierre, that that's how he got caught is because he, he didn't dumb it down. It was like, I just knew there's no way this kid produced this, this essay. Um, I, I guess one little thing I'll say though, is how I, you know, catch the chat GPT. Cause I, you know, when this thing first came out, I was playing around with it too and doing stuff like, you know, are you guys, are you plotting it to overthrow humanity? You know, all those goofy things. And where I, um, what I noticed where it was clearly, you could tell pretty fast. So yeah, you would ask it a question, you know, in plain English, and it would give you an answer in plain English that sounded like it was a human. In in my case, I think I did say something like, um, "Is there any possibility that whatever this thing was, I, you know, I gave it the, its official name, could end up harming humanity?" And it gave, and it said stuff something like, "Well, no, because I am a tool designed to help humans, and so therefore I couldn't hurt humans." And so then I said is a car a tool designed to help humans? And it said, yes. And, you know, and it elaborated and a car is a blah, 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 you know, gave me the history of a car. And then I said, do cars ever hurt humans? And it said, yes. In 2020 alone, there was this many traffic accidents and blah, 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 blah. And so I said, okay, so if a car is a tool that was designed to hurt hu- or to help humans, but sometimes hurt humans, just because, whatever I said, chat GBT was a tool designed to help humans, why did you say before that it could hurt, you know, hurt, hurt humans? You know, you see, I like I boxed it in to show that it was contradicting itself, and you know, it it didn't even. Now, in fairness, when I do that on Twitter against humans, a lot of times they don't even get what I'm saying either, and just call me a Nazi. But I'm just saying, like, it, it was clear at that point it didn't even get. And then I don't know if this is true or not, but when I was paste, p- copying and pasting that conversation on Twitter and the haha, some people said, yeah, it it doesn't. It's not like. It's having a conversation with you. Each thing you type in, it's answering fresh. So I don't know if that's true or not. Like it's not like it's it's evolving, you know, in the conversation with you in the back and forth. And so the it, fact it used to not, be the case. 
So, so in the begin in the beginning, yeah. it used it used to be the case that it had basically zero memory of the the conversation, or just okay. just a few back and forth. But they're expanding that all the time. So, okay. So now it remembers more and more, and they're going to expand it to remember all of your conversations, which means it's going to be even better at tricking you to think that it's actually a, a person. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, at the at the point where when I did this experiment, which was I don't know six months ago, yeah, it was. Like that, that was how I could tell, all right, this is not a human because it, it wasn't, it didn't even get what I was saying. Again, it's, well, I should say it's not an intelligent human. <laughs> there are plenty of people, humans on Twitter that uh, also respond like that when I try to catch them and say, well, wait a minute, you said, you know, two posts ago this. Um, okay, so why don't we leave that now? Let's get into the economic stuff per se. So what do you, obviously, new technology, oh, wow, it's going to do all this stuff. The fear is it's going to throw a bunch of humans out of work, so we need to slam the brakes on this and consider it. So what's your response to that? Well, I mean, it's the same as always, I think. I don't think people will always say that, oh, this is different this time, right? And, and yeah, AI, whether we get to actual AI, AGI, or if this just this chat bot or whatever, yeah, it's going to change things. Of course, it's a revolution in that sense, but it's going to change things just like the spinning Jenny did in in, in the UK, and or, or like the automobile did, and things like that. It's going to change what types of jobs we need human beings to do. So I think for ChatGPT, it, it could probably be really good at say customer service. When people, mm-hmm. I always prefer to chat with a real human being rather than with a system because the system is always stupid and it always boxes me in into these alternatives, and I'm. A, I'm I, ne- I want neither of these. I want, right, <laughs> let right. me talk to someone, right? And and ChatGPT could be could be connected with the actual software so that it can actually do what I want it to do, according to whatever rules. So it can replace customer service people, per, perhaps things like that. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll it will cause a, a transition for sure. And I, I I think it's 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 capital just like any other I- invention. It's, it's going to replace uh, labor, uh, it's just as capital replaces labor, because it, it, can, it can do certain things, simple things, uh, better than humans can do. So it's humans are sort of released to do something else. And it's going to cause some unemployment in the beginning anyway, uh, but it's going to cause a, a lot of more prosperity in, uh, in the longer term. And when you say can do simple things, it's, and I know you know this, I'm just clarifying for the viewers and listeners that it, I mean, because some of those simple things could be like, you know, solving a calculus problem or brain surgery, you know, or, or really what the, I know that what they're using, I think already is, is diagnostics. Like, you know, it's like, a, 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 so they're, they're calling them expert systems. So, you know, they, they train the, you know, they'll show it thousands and thousands of MRIs or x-rays or whatever and then give it the right answer and say, oh, there's a tumor in this one. No, there's not a tumor or this is benign and this, you know, and train it up that way. And then so when a new patient comes in that it hasn't been trained on, you know, it's it's better than the average doctor at, at spotting, you know, looking at the results. And so that frees things up. But if you asked it, go make me a cup of coffee, it wouldn't be able to do that because it's no, it's 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 trained on a very particular uh, thing. Right. So very, very specialized tasks or or. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or operations, yeah, it, it can do. And, and potentially bigger operations too, but it, it's not going to be an actual human being. So I mean, even in human action, Mises has this 
a discussion on labor being the least specific of all of all mm-hmm. factors because we can do pretty much anything and and that's the, the whole point of capital is is to replace human beings and 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 improve the productivity of human beings by having these tools where whether it's a hammer or an ai it's going to mean that people can do more and labor can uh, contribute or it can produce more in terms of valued output. So in, in that sense, economically speaking, I don't think AI is, is a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting you brought the customer service because the, already even without getting into like, you know, super advanced AI, you see that trade-off that to the extent that they have automated systems, that means on a Sunday night on Christmas Eve – if all of a sudden you got a problem with your credit card and you call the number, like if they've got computers doing it, they can be working. Whereas if it was just humans, you know, they might have the day off or something or, you know, the wait time would be ridiculous because so few people are working at that time. But you're right. And if it's just a routine thing, like you just want to check your balance or how much, yeah, how much rooms on my credit card or when's my payment due? You don't even want to talk to a person like, no, I just want to talk, you know, it takes too much mental effort. I'd rather just listen to the robot tell me, okay, but you're right. If you have some weird issue, like this happened to me once, I got money out of the ATM, and I don't even know how this ha- – it was, it was an outside one. you know. So the wind kicked up, and somehow like a $100 bill fell back into the dispenser, and it closed on me. And I was like, what the heck? And then I, I took out more money, and it, it just locked up. It said, no, this ATM cannot dispense cash right now. Like it knew something was screwy, but I couldn't get my money out because I was going to try to like take out more money and then you know, hope, hope that my 100 was still sitting there. And I went and reported it, and w- there was not a menu option for if the wind knocked a $100 bill back into the ATM, press 7. You know, that was not, you know, I, so I, like, th- th- literally what you say is I need to talk to a human, you know, operator, operator in the thing. Yeah, because okay. a human can solve the problem, right? Right, because and, and it's can, the kind of thing where I need to tell someone the story. They need to, like, pretend to be me and be like, oh, so what he needs in this situation is that where is the machine? It's not simply that. It has. It's just like it needs to be like you to have some empathy to realize. Just like if you, I'm, I hope this doesn't get me canceled, but like if you get someone on the phone that's a call center from another country, sometimes that's not you know like oh no, because I just know this weird situation I'm experiencing right now. That I need the customer, so you're not going to understand what I'm even saying. And not just because the language barrier, but just because you haven't grown up in the United States and it's a weird situation. You know, you don't know our culture. You don't. You're not going to get what I mean, so you're not going to be able to help me. So it's anyway. I'm kind of rambling. So, okay, so Paris, so I can see, you know, someone, again, for folks at home, I'm going to play devil's advocate here just to try to present both sides because I know where Paris coming from. I probably agree with you, but let me just push back. So someone could say, oh, sure, it's going to make humanity as a whole richer, right? Total GDP is going to go way up from, with this thing. But we're worried about certain segments of the population, particularly like unskilled workers, people you know, who maybe just like have a certain trade skill. Um, you know, they're not, it's not that they have this well-rounded education. They could just bounce around, but no, they can make a decent living to support a family right now driving a truck. And that's a very respectable, honorable profession. If we get AIs to come in self-driving vehicles, those people are out of work and you can tell them, Oh, go do something else. But the reason they're not doing something, the reason they're driving a truck right now is because that's the best paying job. If they go do something else, Maybe they got to take a 30% pay cut. So, you know, there's lots of, there's millions of people like that that are going to be hurt, at least for a generation. Maybe their kids will be richer because of the robots or whatever. But, you know, so you're just kind of glossing over that pair. What would you say to that kind of objection? Yeah, that, that, that would be the most common re- objection, I think, 
for sure. Uh, and in a sense, it, it, it sort of puts people in a, a, in a box and, and it pretends that people are that simple, that they, they can't do anything else and they don't want to do anything else and, and whatever else, which I think is problematic too, because what we're doing today is nothing at all what people did a couple of hundred years ago. And are they saying that we are different types of people? No, we're not. It's just that we've, we've learned to do different things and we have had, we've been influenced by different things. So I think that is, that is sort of um, condescending in a sense. But I also think that some standardized things need to be done by machines as much as possible because that means that we have a much lower cost in producing those. What that also means though, is that the same type of service, but offered as a specialized uh, service, becomes much more sought after and much more valuable. So we see this in, in, for instance, cheese production, which I agree, it's not like driving a truck, but it's, it's pretty standardized too. A, a cheese is a cheese, but you have two kinds of markets at the same time now. You have standard cheese that are in, in, in rectangular shapes and, and whatever else, and they're produced basically by machines. You know, I know there are cows involved too, but but after, after you have the milk, it's by machines and basically the humans don't do much at all. And then you have artisanal cheeses, which are handmade, handcrafted, and they're, they have special flavors and special shapes and whatever else. And people pay a whole lot more for those. So it's not the case that we don't have any human being producing cheese anymore because there are machines. No, we have standard cheeses produced by machines because that makes those cheeses so much more affordable and, and less costly. And then we have artisanal cheeses that could speak to people's very specific wants and desires. And those are made by people because they can target to whatever the customer segment uh, specific taste is like. And I think we can see this with driving trucks too, that yes, standard deliveries uh, between say Walmart Supercenter and their warehouse yeah, you don't need a human to do that. And I don't think there are plenty plenty of humans who think that that is a very, very fantastic thing to do. And it's really uh, something they always wanted to do. But you can have spe specialized transportations or, well, these services don't exist yet. So I can't, I can't really tell you exactly what they're going to be. But you have all these other niches where people can, with a, driving a truck and doing it as a human being, figuring out a certain solution that is not standardized and that a system can't do. And those will still be wanted and those will still be needed. And, and, and that's where whoever really, really wants to drive a truck for a living, they can go there. And as a result, we have these more specialized services that are more valued because, well, they're specialized. And then we have the standard services that are basically automatically provided to us. Yeah, and just I was even just thinking of my own challenge there, and, and something in addition to everything you just said too. That it's for one thing, at some point, you know, then we could argue about when should they allow self-driving cars on the roads. And I would say, well, in a free market, the the road owners would be the ultimate ones to make that call. So it's not like we can, we have to as public policy figure that out. But surely, at some point, self-driving cars will get in fewer accidents than the typical human-driven car. And so when you want to talk about like the impacts on people or really like, oh yeah, it's not, it, it's not good if you're the guy driving a truck and then you lose your job and you got to take a pay cut. But also, you know, if your kid got killed in a car accident, but he would not, he would still be alive if there were more self-driving vehicles. Well, that's kind of a big 
deal too, right? So it's in other words, it's not merely that, oh, by having self-driving freight, we can lower shipping costs by 12%. And that means that, you know, the cheese on the shelf is going to be two cents lower. Some guys, you know, his career's ruined, but at least we get cheaper cheese. That no, it's also we get cheaper cheese and more kids that aren't killed in car accidents, you know? So it's, it's not merely dollars and cents from one to another. Um, and, and, and it's also not 12% too, probably either. Oh, it's it's right, probably right. a whole lot more. Right, right, right. And also, too, I'm just thinking like on ro- like road trips or whatever, just, you know, you're driving to Florida for vacation or something just to be able to flip on the self-driving. You know what I mean? In other words, it could be a hybrid thing, not just all or nothing. And then you could like take a nap, <laughs> on, you know, for a long stretch of that instead of having to stay awake and drink coffee and whatever. So, yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Um, okay, what about... I guess we just got a few minutes left here, Pear. Let's let's do the nightmare scenario where, and what I like about the a lot of the dystopian science fiction things is, it's not that the machine just kind of quote turns evil. So like in I don't think I'm giving any spoilers at this point, but like as they explained in 2010, the movie, what happened with Hale was not that it just no explanation. It was they said oh he was instructed to lie, and that's what kind of screwed him up because he wasn't you know he wasn't programmed to do that. And then also, I believe in in the Terminator series, they explain it wasn't just that Skynet was, you know, everything was fine, and then for no reason whatsoever, it just decided to start getting homicidal. It was that, like, its programming said something like, you know, prevent... I forget the exact wording, but the idea was it was told to do something by the humans, and then it, it realized the one thing that can screw that up is a human beings. Like, they're unpredictable, so I need to take them out, and then I can be sure to satisfy what I was programmed to do. So in other words, it wasn't that it did that it violated its programming. It's that it it fulfilled what it was told to do in a way that the human programmers didn't anticipate. So that so that's and that's what software is, right? Yeah, right. that's what software when is. A, it's, when there's a it's bug, rules. Yeah, it's not that like you said, it's zeros and ones, and it's following the rules. That's almost it. Like it follows the rules blindly. It's too good at following the rules. It doesn't know when. Oh wait a minute! The spirit versus the law, uh, the letter of the law, kind of you know distinction. That oh wait, I, I shouldn't follow the rule here because the reason the rule was given to me was for this broader purpose that would actually be violated if I applied the rule here. So yeah. th- th- I guess that's the to me the more plausible where this, these things get more and more intelligent, and especially like the runaway thing where they can start augmenting their own intelligence and then we're not even involved. They just get super smart and. You know, and then if it just turns out that whatever their objectives are, it, it it decides, yeah, there's too many people, then we're in trouble. So, what do you think about? You know, we've got a few minutes here. What do you think about that sort of scenario? Yeah, no, I think that is the, that is the doomsday scenario. It's not that we're suddenly going to have a sentient software and it's going to just like us be a little bit evil and then then go on its own own uh, adventures and kill off pe- people. That's not what's going to happen. Instead, what is going to happen is that we're going to have some idiot who produces a pretty smart software with all kinds of rules and exceptions and all this stuff, right? And connect that to a weapon system and then use that against people, whether that's, whether it's defense to use in war or if it's like uh, robotic cops or what are they called? The, the digidogs uh, that they're going to use now and everything like that. The problem there is that they are going to fo- follow rules and they're going to follow orders exactly. Uh, and Caitlin Johnstone had a, a piece very recently where she talked about those digidogs and things like that, that 
a, a real dog can be trained to be a, a, a nasty animal, but it's, it's still an animal. And a human being definitely has sort of a, a moral compass and can refuse to follow orders. No, I'm not going to shoot into the crowd, right? That's usually uh, what happens when, when a regime falls and crumbles, that it orders people to shoot everybody and kill everybody. And people go, no, wait a minute, I can't do that. But a machine following rules, and the rule is follow order, well, it's going to shoot people. It's, and it's not, not going to say, no, wait a minute, that's not ethical. So that sort of doomsday scenario, I think, is definitely possible. And it's also easy to avoid. That is, don't use it, use this type of software with weapons and, and with defense uh, rockets and, and and rocket launchers and things like that, or or police replace police dogs with robots and, and whatever else, but use it only for productive ends. So the, the same technology that is used in police dogs that will, I don't know what they will do to people, but I guess neutralize the threat in some sense, whatever that might be. Well, those dogs can also go into houses where there's gas or whatever else and find survivors. And that sort of thing is very productive. That's what they should do, not be used instead of humans to try to quash a protest or get rid of people who uh, politically disagree with the regime or whatever it might be. I mean, in those cases, this type of software will cause devastation and, and death. And I agree with that, but it's not because the software itself is sentient and is thinking about it and thinks, oh, humans are terrible people, but we're going to get get something in. And I think this this might be the case if you if you connect it to things like climate change and things like that, and you instruct the the software to say shut down power grids based on usage and things like that, and then you you have procedures uh, and algorithms to help it learn, quote unquote, uh, what the problem is. It it can sort of track who is using more electricity and whatever else, and shut them down because because uh, that will save the climate more. Well, then that sort of software can also take a next step and say, well, this area here with plenty of hospitals, if we just shut that down, then then that's going to be much better because they use a lot of electricity. Well, no, 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 no. A human would prioritize differently. They would say, well, an office building, fine. You can turn that off if, if it needs to be turned off. But a hospital, not a good idea, right? And that sort of, sort of software can also take, make the decision, well, why don't we just turn shut down the, the the turnpike now for a couple of days uh because that will be less pollution yeah well that might not be a solution because the reason people are on the turnpike because the reason we have traffic is that that there's more value in that than the alternative but following rules blindly in this this way that a software does that's going to cause a lot of problems and it's going to be very 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 costly and of course it, it is the central planner issue right that that with these rules, someone have to decide on these rules and decide on how to prioritize between them, which means the software and whatever the software is connected to is going to um, execute based on this one will, much, much like Mises is talking about socialist calculation. It's one will that will, will uh, be executed using all of these systems that are connected to this this bunch of routines, really, this bunch of, of software calculations. And that's what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter what people really want and what people really value. So it, it's, it, it, it could really be a, a way of 
getting rid of the market completely, by which I mean getting rid of consumer sovereignty and getting rid of value creation. And, and that's, of course, terrible. And that's where the politicians want to go, too, of course. Yes. Well, that's a comprehensive answer and I think some sobering thoughts indeed. And I'm, I'm glad, though, you, you did have some specifics there, pairs to, you know, this, yes, there's potential threats here and, and here's how we could at least um, mitigate against them. So thank you, Pear, for your time. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we will see you next time. And until then, just watch out for those Terminators. Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org.